right, you bunch of yahoos. Strap yourselves in for another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. In other words, shut up, sit up, and pay attention. And welcome back to another episode of Toxic Masculinity. We are here to entertain and offend and defend anyone and everybody. We are a couple of crotchety old farts that have a bad habit of speaking the truth, but won't let a few facts get in the way of a good story. We believe in America and Americans. If this is not for you, well, then I suggest you change the channel. We still believe in freedom of speech, and we'll rub your face into the cow pie of reality. We will make you scratch your head or scratch your ass, hopefully not at the same time. Without further ado, my cohort in crime is none other than the man of men, the Don the Predator Fry, and probably you don't have your sidekick twin with a Quinn with you there today. No, you're, today. You're, 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 you're flying solo. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we're, we're going we're gonna to jump right into this, sir. We're going to go to our, our, our guest here today, Don, special guest, really special guest. Here we we oh. have Robert O'Neill, who is a former United States Navy SEAL, best known for his extraordinary service at Valor, and the man who took down Osama bin Laden during a historic raid on May 2nd, 2011, that catapulted him into international spotlight beyond this pivotal moment. O'Neill's career is marked by numerous other daring missions and unwavering commitment to his country. He has since become a sought-after speaker, author, and media personality for sharing his unique insights and experiences with the world. And basically, without further ado, Ta-da! We, we welcome <laughs> you there to Toxic Masculinity. It's great to be here. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Don. It's great to see you guys. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a while, man. I'm I'm looking forward to talking to masculinity and uh, solving all the world's problems and just uh, getting into it. So thank you, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, they, they, they think that, okay, and they hear the term toxic masculinity. They think that we're going to just be just way overboard. No, I go, the, the problem with the United States and the world is there's not enough talk, uh, masculinity anymore. You know, we're we we're in this uh, whole goofy uh, uh, era that you have to be so in tune to your sensitivity, and you have to be yeah. uh, you have to be all inclusive, and you have to have you know these dems and those. You have to be aware of your nouns, your pronouns. I'm like, nah, we're not that sharp of cats. Uh, we're just going to be off and any anybody, everybody equally. That's what we look at it as. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel the same way. It's it's um masculinity is not toxic I, I think it's it's necessary for everything from a family to a society and um it, it's it's a better place when there there is a chance where some of your actions can can involve a, a response and right now you know people are making decisions based on emotion alone knowing that no one can do anything to them uh and not that i'm you know i'm not advocating for violence all the time but just no. the, you know the ability the, <laughs> the ability to recognize the ability to recognize that uh sometimes actions have consequences and i i think with uh the internet with keyboard warriors and how like, you see it sometimes where a lot of people don't realize when they're actually face to face that they're actually face to face now and there could be an issue and i think i think it's i think it's good it keeps people in, people in check and there's nothing wrong with getting humbled once in a while absolutely. totally totally agree absolutely uh, i was listening to radio today and as either 1,000 or 2,000 illegal aliens came across the border yesterday in in Lukeville, in one spot. How, how do you feel about that after everything you've done for the country? 
It's very frustrating because the first, I mean, I'm an American first. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm an American. And I think mm -hmm. having a strong country, which we, well, we did have a lot stronger country is uh, defending your borders and having, you know, a sense of pride and from where you come and opening borders like that. Like I understand people from other countries that want a better life, but there's a legal way to do it. And it's not just people from Mexico, Central and South America. We've got different countries and we're talking uh, people on terrorist watch lists. That right. it's again with with uh, not realizing something when it's too late. Like we, uh, I've always said, you know, I I never want another nine eleven, but I love another nine twelve, and that's because it, it, people have a tendency to think just because something bad won't happen, hasn't happened yet, means it won't. And if I was a, you know, if I was someone trying to hurt this country, the first thing I do is cross the southern border, and then you can go anywhere you want. I mean, even we're to the point now where a terrorist can bring his family over and we'll pay for his school and a translator. And then he can start a sleeper cell. You don't know what's happening. And and they're very creative. It's like, you know, we're really good at checking uh, grandma's purse and putting her through a metal detector because they flew planes 22 years ago into uh, buildings. They're not going to do that again, but uh, you, they still love suicide bombers and martyrs. And you know, our, a lot of our elementary schools are gun free zones that we've seen. It, it, that, that's what we call a soft target everywhere with the gun free zone sign is a target for these people and that's that's my issue is when if and when they come again it's gonna suck to say i told you so yeah yeah it'd be devastating yeah danny well, okay well, here's a question for you what led you actually into the military in the first place i mean it was your father in the military or or did you no. what, what uh, intrigued you about it then i i uh, i i kind i joined the navy on accident but I, I, because I, I, I was my, my plan in life was to play college basketball, which I was doing and then get an MBA and work with my dad, who was a broker. But then like, you know, any 19 year old dude, I got dumped by a girl and I wanted to leave town. It's time. It's just one of those things where it's time to leave. And that's why, you know, a lot of people join the military, both men and women join for that reason. It's time to go. So I, uh, the day I got dumped, I went to the Marine recruiter to, I wanted to become a Marine because I'm from Montana and uh, I love to hunt. I wanted to be a sniper. And I walked in there to, I'm joining the Marine Corps. I know they can, they'll ship me out today. I'll get on a bus. I'll fly hopefully to Paris Island, get that cool haircut and uniform. And it's going to be awesome. But um, sometimes it's better to be lucky than it is to be good because as luck would have it, the Marine recruiter was not in the office. He was literally out to lunch and the Navy guy was right there. And I went over and asked the Navy guy, where's the Marine? I like the only reason I went in to ask the Navy guys, I had two Marines that I knew that I went to high school with who were older than me that, you know, mm -hmm. went to boot camp two years prior. They they told me a joke that the Marine Corps is actually part of the department of the Navy. It's just the men's department, which is funny. <laughs> and so I walked in there like they're in the same department. He'll know where he is. I said, Hey, where's the Marine? He said, why do you want a Marine? I said, I want to be a sniper. Marines have the best snipers in the world. He said, look no further. We have snipers in the Navy. You need to be a SEAL first. He kind of brushed over what a Navy SEAL was and, we'll send you to sniper school. So I signed, I didn't know how to swim, uh, but I signed the paperwork and then he shipped me off. And then he just, it's uh, it turned into one step at a time. You know, I don't know how to swim, but I, you know, I just getting to boot camp from Montana and seeing people from all over the country, you know, white dudes, black dudes, Asian dudes, probably gay dudes, whatever, but we're all in one spot in great lakes, Illinois. And I kind of looked around and just thought, you know what? We all have one thing in common. We're all asking ourselves, what the fuck did I just get into? So it's, that was the start of it. And the realization that almost like it doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from. If you keep the right attitude and, and keep solid short-term goals, you can do anything. And that's, I learned that at boot camp at first. Yeah, yeah well, again, a lot of people can't survive uh, boot camp. Uh, they, they, uh, they can't handle being told what to do. But then you look at the, the physical ability that you have to have 
nowadays, and you look at how the bar continues to be lowered yeah. inside the United States. I mean, to to go and do something like that, you know, being a Navy SEAL, you're still you're you're, you're an elite of the elite. You're Did not. You, uh, you know, you your bar, your bar actually has been raised when you go through something like that. Were you in yeah, before, trying... Were you in for the stress card situation? No, no, that's and I don't. I don't know if they're doing that. I've asked around and I get, you know, I get the runaround. I, I don't know if they're doing that yet, but I know there's a, I interviewed um, a Navy SEAL just today on my, on my podcast. And he was saying that there, you know, if you get yelled at enough, the instructors can get, um, you know, in trouble or whatever it is. So wow. I, I'm concerned. I mean, they're definitely lowering the standards everywhere else. I just hope they don't do it there. But the problem is, this attitude of if you don't meet the standards, we'll just lower the standards, which is bullshit. Right, it, right. it should be uh, everyone has an equal opportunity to come here, and if you don't meet the standards, you're out. And that seems to me what equal opportunity is. It's, it's equality, not equity. You all start at the same place, but we're not guaranteeing the same results. Show up, do the push-ups, pull-ups, learn how to fucking swim, and get over it. That's I mean, and that was, you know, I like every Navy SEAL says, you know, I was part of the last hard class. And when I went through in 1996, you know, we had old Vietnam guys say, well, it was harder than I went through now, now and all this shit. And I'm saying the same thing. And I know there's great dudes out there, but it, it is frustrating, frustrating watching what the senior leadership is doing, uh, the, like the almost politician level officers that want to get their next job at one of the contracting places or uh, get their next star. So they're going to say whatever they need. And that uh, with that comes a, a lot of this bullshit woke crap. And, uh, you know, everyone deserves the same result. And instead of performance, they base it on a, what you look like or such, you know, stuff that doesn't matter in, in the military itself. We, we shouldn't be talking about um, who gets to use which bathroom and who's the drag queen. It should be, are we ready as a Navy to go to war with China tomorrow? Cause that's coming. And that's going to be a yeah. punch in everyone's face. Right. Well, what was the hardest part of boot camp for you? A uh, boot camp. The hardest part was, um, was uh, just the lack of sleep because the, cause Navy boot camp's not like the Marines go through hell. And army boot camp's really hard. Navy boot camp's not that hard. It's just waking up at three in the morning. And uh, I got really good at making a bed, folding my underwear, and learning how to uh, live on a ship because you know you live in tight quarters on a ship. So they're basically teaching you ship life. Uh, pain in the ass as far as that, but there was like I, I would have to stay up late just to do pull ups in the in the shitter because we weren't working out enough, and I had to go to SEAL training after that. So the it's not physically hard. It's just the uh, the first, you know, what the hell did I just do? I'm 19, and now I'm in this place. And then just a lack of sleep, but you get used to it. And I try to make the most out of whatever I'm doing. And so, you know, we, we would have classes in, uh, you know, naval traditions and customs and courtesies. And I find that interesting, where the Navy came from, where the Marine Corps came from, how to, you know, how ships address each other at sea, rules of the road, stuff like that. But uh, I think the hardest part was staying awake in a hot classroom. <laughs> Yeah. Well, <laughs> but then I, uh, you know, SEAL training is a much different animal than than just Navy boot camp. But uh, you know, it was it was just uh, it was you know one day at a time, like everything else. Well, how long did it take you to learn to swim? Well, I was lucky because when I joined the Navy, they I ha they let me wait five months in what they called the delayed entry program. So I joined around June, July, and then I left in January. And I still had the um, ID card for the college I went to, and they had a pool so I could go up there at 5 a.m. And, and I, I I was so not a swimmer. I remember standing in the deep end. I'm like, it's 25 meters down, 25 meters back. I'll swim, you know, 1,000 meters and kind of gauge it because I could keep myself afloat, but I didn't know any technique. I did 50 meters, and I couldn't breathe. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm screwed. I just signed a contract with the, <laughs> the government. I don't know how to swim. And uh, a dude that uh, I went to high school with named Mike – 
he was he actually went and swam at Notre Dame. He's been swimming and he walked in and he goes, Hey, hey, bro, don't take this the wrong way. Like it's great to see you in the pool, but I've literally never seen you in the pool. What's going on? And I said, oh, I joined the Navy yesterday and I'm going to be a SEAL. And he goes, oh, the fuck you are. Not not like that. You're not. And then he taught me uh, <laughs> he taught me the the breaststroke and the side stroke. And he was kind of the one that told me we're not going to get all tech technical. Here's how you side stroke. Here's how you breaststroke. That's all you're going to need. Don't worry about the butterfly and freestyle. Just get these two down. And, you know, I was able to go up there and, and train and, and keep my own times and swim with fins without fins. And I, you know, slowly got better and I thought I was pretty good. You know, I passed the test to get into seal training and boot camp, but then I got to seal training and like, I'm, I'm, I started swimming with dudes that uh, played, you know, collegiate water polo and were swimmers at like the Naval Academy and dudes that have been, it's like, man, these guys are good. And, I, and, and, you know, they know the technique, like, like anything, like fighting, uh, the technique, if you have the technique, you're going to whip someone's ass that doesn't know what they're doing. You're going to wear them out. And swimming was the same way. I'm like, I'm just like, I got to the point and I, I could, I never failed to swim, but I got to the point where people, cause we're in seal training. We're off the coast of California and there's sharks out there. And someone said, uh, are you worried about great whites? And I said, no, because with my luck, I'd get done with a two mile swim. A great white wouldn't kill me. It would grab me, drag me two miles out and make me do that shit again. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. So no, I'm not, but uh, yeah, I was, I mean, I, you know, I, I still think like anything, instead of saying, just suck it up and do it. They, they should have people teaching people how to swim because if you know how to do it, you know how to do it. But I, you know, I learned it. it it's, it was tough, but I, I made it through. Yeah, like I say, I, I'm like throwing a rock in the water. So what I'm like, I mean, it just, uh, it's, uh, I, I, I sink right to the bottom. I might as well just simply go to the bottom, just walk, walk ashore at that point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, well, they have a, they, they use water and seal training to get in your head because, um, if, if, if and you guys probably know this, if, if, if you get in your mind, I'm going to quit, you're going to quit. Like you can't, it's hard to get out of that mentality. And they use water. And they, one of the things they would do is they, they would tie our hands behind our backs and our feet together, throw us in the pool. And all we're doing is exhaling to prove Boyle's law that we can sink, come back up, inhale, exhale, sink, and do that for a long time, and then float for 10 minutes and then swim. And you got about an hour just tied up. And there's no, the only point to that drill is to teach you what it's like to not be able to breathe. But what they're instilling in, in through negative reinforcement is that panicking is not going to help you, is it? So stop panicking. It's like if you're worried about something that you're worried can't help why are you wasting your energy stop worrying and that's all they're teaching us but they use water and they you know drown you for it so that's it's a it's a it's a, it's a learning curve but it's worth it survival rate may, might, might not be all that high there either but the the, the strong will prevail <laughs> once again like when i worked with uh mr severin during the summer uh you know my <laughs> freshman year i was worried that he ate, ate a burrito the night before for breakfast and <laughs> you know a little truck. Had, had to keep that had to keep down on his toes right there i just think oh my God. That, that'll do it the, the phoenix heat <laughs> heat out there you seen in severin <laughs> well see now if, I, if there was noise with that there don you, you knew what was coming but so yeah. you, it's so silent but deadly was that uh that, that there wasn't a sneak up on you keep up but, okay for, for being born and raised in, in Montana, of all things, what I mean, you you had to be like an outdoorsman there uh, for the first yeah. place growing up, right? So a lot of hunting, big yeah. time. Yeah, uh, hunting was was my big one. We we started hunting because my father just got a second divorce, and someone had told him like, you need to just get outside. You need to stop being depressed, do something. And so we started hunting. I don't know. We didn't even know what we were doing. We started hunting antelope 
in the plains, which I think are the fastest animal in North America, but they, they won't jump fences and they just kind of run around and dudes in trucks are driving all over. <laughs> but guys are like, if, if as a, like, I'm a, I'm a, uh, a rifle range safety officer. Now, if I saw people doing what I grew up doing, I, I'd, you know, give everyone safety violations, but it's just ridiculous shooting. And then, you know, we didn't know what we we're doing, but we slowly learned that we got into white-tailed deer, mule deer, and then elk is the big one. Uh, we learned how to hunt elk, you know, get in the mountains with them, how to camp out, um, hunting moose, bears. I killed a caribou in Alaska. So uh, I, I got, I got good at um, knowing how to use the wind that it's, you know, it's better for an animal to see you than to smell you. If they smell you, they're gone. How to use the the terrain, um, what to pack, how to how to load your gear. Obviously, ballistics, how to shoot, being outside, and then you know, you know, fishing, fly fishing. So I was very comfortable outside. Um, yeah. So and that, there's not a lot to do in Montana. So that and ski, and uh, obviously not swim because you know Montana's landlocked and the lakes are frozen. Right. Um. You and your father got the Boone and Crockett, uh, Ram one year, right? Well, he got that. I can't take credit for that. That was him. But he got uh, he got a Boone and Crockett ram. I think he got a Boone and Crockett doll sheep also. And then his moose. I don't know if his moose made it, but uh, I have a picture. I'll send you guys a picture of that moose. It's insane. He got a picture uh, where he actually was able to. He after he killed it, they they laid next to the uh, to to the big the antlers these moose have, and it was a uh, just impressive. The spreads about six feet. Big big moose. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and they're delicious too, by the way. Moose is really good. Caribou is excellent. Yeah, <laughs> you look just like your father. You know, uh, yeah, I, he's a good-looking dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> another another ginger with a gun. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dangerous, dangerous. <laughs> Got something to prove it to the world. <laughs> so yeah, he's he's good. I actually I, I just talked to him today too. He's still doing well. He's up there. Uh, he, he always tell so he's about 74 years old now and he's always saying yeah you know i'm taking the weight off and i'll be dunking in no time I'm like, dad you're 74 i think your days at dunking the basketball are over <laughs> i mean how, well, how, how tall how tall are you then robert i'm six feet tall he's about six two okay because i kept thinking basketball i kept thinking well then that you know just as hard to try to gauge your, your height right here but if i look at this picture you got a basketball scholarship at six foot tall no i yeah i was playing in montana tech as a as a two guard a shooting guard so i wasn't i wasn't there to you know post up or or uh um you know i, I was there to either either pass get assist make the make the jumper or uh play defense that's it i'm not i'm not going inside there's the the bigger dudes handled that Taking up space on the on the uh, court, huh? Blocking people. Yeah, we 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 got we got good though. We got we got pretty good. We had we had a deal. So my father played in college also, and we had a deal when we would when we would play when we start our season. So our training was before my season in high school. When we started our training, it was you. We would play for a couple of hours, you know, training for a couple of hours. But before we could leave, one of us had to make twenty free throws in a row. Uh, start with a make and then you know shoot till you miss and so one of us makes 20 then we can leave it could take three minutes it could take two hours someone's got to make 20 in a row and the deal was at the beginning of the season uh, it was 20 to get out of the gym but also 20 to get a steak at the derby in butte montana which are awesome steaks when we got 20 though the increments went up by five for the steak so it's 20 to leave the gym 25 for a steak now 30 for a steak 35 40 for a steak 20 to leave the gym 50 for a steak <laughs> And we got to a point shooting free throws. My father one day he made ninety one free throws in a row, which is awesome. And <laughs> wow. that was our rec. That was our record for a week because the following week I made a hundred and five in a row, and that's uh, that's still the standing record. I don't think I could pull that off now though. <laughs> wow. 
That's neat that you gave your dad credit first. What that red? Well, yeah. Well, he 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 did he did it first, I, and that's almost a thing where the pressure's there. So I I can either not beat his and be humble, or I can I can try to beat his ass, which I I didn't think I ever would, but I got lucky one day. Yeah. What's with the fire helmet behind you? Oh, that's uh. You fire. That's a uh, that's seal training. Uh, in in seal training, you wear these helmets. A green helmet. There's three phases of seal training. Green helmet is first phase, the physical part. Um, the second one is blue for dive phase. And then the third phase for land warfare is a red helmet. So I just stole mine and, and kept it. So that's my class two zero eight. And, uh, and that's actually a cool story too, because all they have on your helmet is the class number two Oh eight. And then on front, they have, um, they have, uh, your last, your last name O'Neill. And when you, if you quit at seal training, there's a bell, you ring three times and seal training's over. You have to take your helmet off and there's a line of helmets and they call it the quitters line. And I mean, there'll be lines of, a hundred helmets of guys that quit. And I would look at that. And just for the, the mental piece, because your, your name's on the front, I said, you know what, this is hard, but there's no way in hell I can put a helmet with my father's name on it in the quitters line. And that's one of the mental things that helped me get right. through, you know, obviously, yeah, and you guys know from training so hard, you need to have uh, something there to just to keep yourself going. Yeah. Absolutely. Keep that sanity. You, you bet. Got to keep that sanity. Mm hmm. Well, how's how's uh celebrity life treating you now? Well, it's <laughs> it could be one of two things. Like it, it it gets bad quick if someone because I don't see it. I'm so close to it. But like if I see someone in a because like one of the comments on social media will be like, "Wow, you're never going to pay for a drink again." I'm like, "Yeah, that's super." Until it happens, because you'll be in an airport, someone sees you, buys you a drink, and then someone else sees you, buys you a drink, and all of a sudden these seven dudes had a drink and I had seven. It's right. like, God, this kind of sucks. But, uh, and then if you, uh, and you got, I'm sure you've seen it too. When you screw up, everybody knows about it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but, but it is, it is, it's an honor when, because if people want a picture and they say, are you tired of this? I'm like, no, I'm not tired of this. It's, I'm an, I'm honored because I would much rather you want a picture than just kind of flip me off and keep walking. So thanks right. for being cool. So it's, it's, it's something to get used to. It was never, that was never the plan either. I, I should still be in the Navy. My plan was to do, you know, 35 years in the Navy and then, grow a glorious mustache and smoke cigars on the beach in California, but that didn't happen. It's, you know, I, when you make a plan, God laughs at you. So there's other stuff going on. Yeah. yeah I guess I think that this is, there's a way of just simply just throwing different types of uh, roadblocks, uh, dead ends and data nature. And you better uh, know how to fly by the seat of your pants. Yep. And the poor yep. opportunity presents itself. In your, Very true. your seal class, how many started and how many finished with you? We started with, I think, 227, and of that 227, 33, 33 graduated. And then we had a couple dudes from different classes that graduated with us, so, but 33 original guys. And that was a big class because we were 208, I think, two classes before us, 206, graduated seven guys. Wow. So um, it, it all depends it, because quitting is contagious. Yeah. And the, the, the issue with uh, – when you're like, if you have a mentality of someone's tougher than me or better than me or stronger than me, and all of a sudden they quit, a lot of people, it's like sympathetic quitting. Like, oh, oh man, if he can't make it, I'm not strong enough. When you should say bullshit, fuck that guy, I'm not following him. But it seems like if, if one of the loudmouths quits, other guys just follow because it's it's almost like they give in to uh, just like roll over and die. Um, so it's it, the classes depend. If, if you have strong leaders, have strong camaraderie, um, it, it's a good class. And I still talk to a lot of guys from my uh, from my class. Yeah, you once once the big one guy quits, you have an excuse to quit. Yeah, well, yeah, he, yeah. 
both. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, okay, in the sales trade, though, I mean, is there, do they, do they, do the instructors, do they look for a certain percentage to quit in the first place that they, you know, it's like a, like a known factor that uh, out of these, you know, 100, 100 uh, individuals, we should have at least 75 people quit. I mean, is that, is there, is there no, they're, they're not, they're not looking to get people to, I mean, they sort of are, they encourage you to quit, but they're not looking for a quota. And what I mean by encourage you to quit is they want to see how you are mentally. Like they, uh, they'll, they'll even offer you like, you know, if you quit right now, I'll give you that. You can have a warm shower, dry clothes, 10 hours of sleep. I'll bring you coffee tomorrow when you wake up. Um, just quit. And they'll sort of, they're fucking with you. Um, and, and some guys do quit or you can, you know, even with the hot shower, like I'm not getting for five minutes. I'm not, if I'm cold, I'm staying cold until this evolution is over. Uh, and you know, they want more dudes. The instructors want more guys to get through because they're seals. And I had instructors tell me like the reason we're hard on you is because I might go to war with you and I don't want some pussy. Right. Um, so they want, they want more, but if, if you're weak, they, they will, I mean, they'll, they'll gather around. It's, it's a, it's almost like watching, like on Instagram, watching the hyenas gather around the deer they just took down. They'll 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 show up. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's there's no set quota or whatever. They they do have standards, and they, as far as I know, they they maintain the standards, and they just want good people, quality people. Was there ever a moment that broke you down? Um, I I didn't. I wasn't going to quit, but I thought about it most of the time. Like I thought, like I could just end this, and but that's the seed you don't really want to plant. I think the worst thing the worst thing that they did to me personally was there's, so there's certain milestones that you need to do like the 15 mile run. And then there's like this pool competency hell week, but in the middle of the of second phase, there's a 5.5 nautical mile swim, which is about 7.1 miles. <clears throat> do it one time and you're done. It's just for completion. But they made us instead of swimming with the current, they made us swim against the current. So from Imperial beach up to Coronado against the current, the whole time, and we were in there for about mm, almost six six hours, I think, swimming against the current to the point where they had to start pulling guys out for hypothermia. And you know, we're we're 200 yards from finishing it, and they start pulling guys out. We're like, cool, we're done, it's over, we we did it. So we finished the swim, and then like two days later, we're in that. So we're done with that milestone. Two days later, we're in a dive physics class where we're, you know calculators and pencils and stuff. And the instructor came in with his coffee, said, hey. We were canceling dive physics today because not everyone finished the 5.5 mile swim. So everybody get your wetsuit on. We're doing it again right now. Wow. And that was like me wow. and shit. Cause that was so shitty. I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. This, and now they had us get back in. It's like, well, one, you know, kick stroke glide, I guess I'll another five hours in the water. Fuck it. <laughs> so that was, that was the meanest thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you felt betrayed pretty bad on that one. huh? I did. I, I was like, come on. But I was one of the guys that uh, didn't make it. So I, you know, it just, but again, misery loves company. So fuck it. If we're all going to do it. Like when I got to SEAL Team 2, we would do um, a certain workout every day. And every Tuesday is the two mile ocean swim, which is fun when it's summer. But in Virginia Beach, when it's February, it sucks. <laughs> but the most fun I we would have was that Tuesday morning at whatever, 6 30 a.m., when we're all in the bus driving to the swim because the comedy, is just there. It's because it, this sucks, but we're all going to eat this shit sandwich together. And it just kind of brings the humor out. Like this is going to suck, but let's all get in the water. Right. Sick and twisted sense of humor. That's the same way that, uh, you know, Don and I, we share the, the camaraderie being it, 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 amateur wrestlers and, and amateur wrestling, it, it's a tough sport. It's just, it's a tough sport. 
you know, the definition of amateur wrestling is the team sport based upon individual performances. The team can lose, and yet you can go on and individually individually continue to win. But uh, it's a tough sport. There's no sport like it that that, that you go out there, you know, you got to make a weight class, maintain a weight class, and just grind and grind, and you're breaking people mentally, you're breaking people physically. So there's a... A lot of people that that go through the sport of amateur wrestling that they prevail oh, sure. they prevail quite well in mixed martial arts and and other types of sports, especially in that individuality because it has its own weight class to it as well. I can't I can't imagine even with the mentality and and just getting in your own head, making weight and keeping weight has got to be a complete mindfuck. I I personally have never done that, but I mean I and and a lot of the you know a lot of MMA fighters they don't really bring it up, but that's got to suck. Oh, you don't yeah, have to what, keep what, it. Once what, you weigh in, you, you you start shoveling it in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, getting getting there to the weigh in has got to be just horrific. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it, it's just almost you, you fork for a lot of wrestlers. But the the, the one that that toughest when you do a two day tournament to where yeah you you made weight day one, and you're and yet you're you're taking in very little consumption of. Uh, of, of liquids, still very little consumption of food because you've still got to make weight the following day. You have to qualify no, yet never. again. I mean, they grant you a pound on that second day. Oh yeah, a whole yeah. a whole pound. <laughs> yeah, a whole pound. Yeah. What, what do you? What do you? And again, I'm not interviewing you, but what what do you eat like between the first and second day? So you weigh in and then you you wrestle, then you got to weigh in again. Yeah. Yes. By, by later by later that that evening oh, you have shit. to make make weight again, and you have to monitor. You literally you 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 have your your different types of size containers, so you know how many ounces that you're taking in. But then you're you're also going to wrestle maybe maybe two three times that day as well. Oh, and so God. you know if you if you wrestle you know those but two or three you times, lose, then you have to wrestle five. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. Max, maximum that they, they allowed well anymore they allow is uh, up to five times in one particular day. So you have to you just have to watch it. I mean it's uh I mean I've, I've had all kinds of comical stories where. I've had an athlete that he didn't think he was going to make it through day one, and he just he just parked out. Well, now he he made it through, and now he's trying to make weight. And that's when you know they got the the plastic suits on, they got the cotton suits on, and they're they're pedaling bicycles, stationary bicycles inside of a sauna, and they're trying to jump rope and things of nature. And just sometimes they just they just sitting in there and and they're but you know different athletes they they. Handle different, just like what, what you said in the Navy SEALs. Some of you can see they're starting to break mentally. They just tell, them, go in there, wow. go, go, go sit down, go sit in the sauna, just go sit in the sauna. And and the funny part is, I was stripped all the way down to just my underwear. Now I come in and then they look up and they're like, Coach can't make it, can't <laughs> take it up and then push you, push them down. And then they look, the eyes got big, like going, The biggest sin is not make a weight, you will make weight. And then yes. they get up again and it's like, okay, you push it back in again. And then you start, you start pummeling stuff like that. And before you know it, I mean, you get, you get them to do another 10, 50 minute workout inside a sauna to where they finally make weight. You, I, I probably lost another three, four pounds myself. My underwear soaked right through and, uh, you know, but you do that the, the, for your fellow teammate. That's all. How, how are you hydrating? Well, the hydration liquids i mean liquids but those liquids i mean because you, be... if you're trying to sweat out all the all the liquid weight what do you is there no, you know some kind of supplement you could take or you just no. you're just cramping up and whatever yeah, you're just dealing with it yeah you got gotta get rid oh of that God. extra you get rid of that extra water in your in your body oh it's crazy that yeah yeah, I, you, yeah you, like you, i said i've never 
yeah, you will see some guys that they they will cramp up or something like that. Or I've actually I've watched the scales where literally the the athlete is standing on the scales, and the, and and there's like three coaches. You know, they've got the scales. It's the old uh, um, uh, standard weigh-ins where they they got the, the bar in front of you and stuff like that, so you're not gonna fall forward. But literally, the athlete is actually I was passed oh, out. Yeah, he's, he's there. Wow. And, and and the three coaches are like. Like 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 fairly fingertips, just so he's not gonna fall over this way, that way, to where he makes weight. The re- the referee's looking, make sure no one's trying to lift him up, something like that, to take off that last quarter pound or something like that. And uh, oh. it's uh, it's it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we see we had the opposite happen because um, a lot of like some of these Navy SEAL movies, they'll show people eat out of trash cans and all that nonsense. That's not real. You can eat all the time and they will force feed us. Our biggest issue was, well, we got a five mile run after lunch. So like, I'm going to eat five hamburgers, but I shouldn't because then you're puking on yourself. But yeah. you know, that was never, that the biggest problem was eating too much. So I, boy, I'll tell you what, but that, that lack of hydration and no, that's, I mean, that's mental toughness right there. That's all that is. Oh, it makes you question. Makes you question uh, why you're there. That's for damn sure. Your mortality. Yeah. <laughs> you you start hating everybody. You just hate. I, oh God, I, I can't. I, I can imagine you know, when I'm like ten minutes late for dinner, I get pissed off. I can't imagine just starving yourself and then you got to fight somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Going a couple of days without food. That's uh. That's oh God. Well, you, you've got a couple of books. Talk about talk about your books. What are a couple of the books you got out? There's that the ones that are um, up there. Yeah, I got. Uh, I wrote a book called The Operator, which is right over there. Uh, it's my. It's an autobiography, and it's a. It's about. I call it the operator. I'm not calling myself the operator. I'm talking about the life of the operator, meaning anyone. The, the I'm like the people who don't get credit. Anyone that that does something to help their family, help their community. The person who doesn't get credit, like. The, the guy who takes out the trash in Manhattan at two in the morning, you can hear the trucks. He's been up since one to feed his family, making the streets clean. That's an operator. The single mom's an operator. The dude cutting weight so he can represent his college is a fucking operator. So me as an operator, I'm, I was a special operator just doing what I can for my country. Um, and just right place, right time. And it's a story about growing up. And again, like I said earlier, you can do whatever you want as long as you keep your mind to it. And one of my favorite quotes is, wherever you are, be there. Because stuff can happen right now. Um, just don't put your head in the sand. Don't believe in the normalcy bias. And you can do it. And I'm just, I'm a guy that joined the Navy on accident, stuck with it, found out about SEAL Team 6 uh, because of 9-11. Real, I was never even going to stay in the Navy. Went to SEAL Team 6. And just because I was there, um, I, you know, I, one of my first, my first deployment at SEAL Team 6, we were on the mountain to rescue the lone survivor, Marcus Luttrell. In 2009, um, I was the lead jumper to rescue Captain Richard Phillips from Somali Pirates. I actually left my daughter's Easter preschool um, party in Virginia Beach, and almost 16 hours later, we had a full headcount in the Indian Ocean. We rescued Richard Phillips from Somali Pirates, and then I was honored to be on the best team I've ever been a part of to go after Osama bin Laden. And that's just because I made myself available. Um, because you never know what can happen if you know if you, if you just get into it, you can do it. So it's, it's just a life story about the possibilities are endless, especially in this country. This because um, it's the pursuit of happiness. It's not guaranteed happiness, but you can get it here at least at least right now. God knows where we're headed. But then the next one is called um, The Way Forward, and I wrote that recently with Dakota Meyer, who's a Marine Medal of Honor recipient, really good friend of mine, love that guy. Um, and it's just about what now? Because he's a Medal of Honor recipient. I killed Osama bin Laden, but now what? Right. Now what do we do? Because we have to keep food on the table. Where do we go? And then, like you said, with the celebrity, with you know alcohol-related incidents, 
uh, bad shit happens. What do we do next? And, you know, I'm, and I'm still in, I, I go through uh, therapy now. He does too. And it's that we all fuck up and you're, you're rarely do you learn from success, but you'll learn a hell of a lot from getting shamed. You'll learn a lot from failure and it's okay because, you know, I just made headlines. I got a mug shot the other day. And uh, I tell people, what I tell people is um, every one of us has a deep, dark secret that they do behind closed doors. And now, you know, mine, I drink too much. Um, you have one too, but it's okay to, you can fix yourself. The buck stops with you, but you need, you can only lie to yourself for so long and it's okay to ask for help. Um, and that's just what the way forward is about. So it's a great book. We both tell us, tell us some of our stories about how we got there. And he, you know, Dakota's story is great. Cause you know, he's a badass Marine sniper medal of honor. But before that, he was a male cheerleader in high school. Oh, uh, and, and wow. you know, just, and just, he just joined, he joined too, <laughs> wow. because a, 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 he has a story where a recruiter tricked him. He had like, he's a white dude. He had blonde dreadlocks and the recruiter said, yeah, you go to Paris Island. Don't worry. They'll let you keep that hair of yours. You know, just yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we have this. We have we have this very elite. We only got one spot left for this elite unit called infantry. <laughs> you know, it's like totally lying to them. <laughs> one spot left. But uh, then, but again, too, like um, you, you know, you've had success in the past, but what are you going to do now? So those are the two books. They're great. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll end up writing another one about uh, we all screw up. Hopefully, like even when we would debrief after training or a mission, you know, or a fight. Uh, when I would talk to my junior guys, I would say, I don't want to hear about what you did. Great. Tell me what you fucked up though. Yeah. That's how we're going to learn. Mm -hmm. All right. What was going through your mind when you, uh, got at that moment when you got, uh, the call to go after Osama bin Laden? Well, at first we didn't know what was happening because we had just finished, uh, Afghanistan. I just, it was, I think it was my 13th trip. And we just got back and we got recalled. And the way it came down was they said, we found a thing. This thing is in a house in a bowl and this bowl is in a country. And you guys are going to go get this thing and bring it to us. And, and, uh, and so we're like, cool. What's the thing? And they said, well, can't tell you. Okay. Well, how are we getting there? Can't tell you. Where's this country? Can't tell you how much air, (laughs) how much air support. They said none. Like, okay, that's it. And then we kind of figured it out and they brought us to a spot, uh, um, a government base and, the woman that found bin Laden came in with the SEAL Team 6 commanding officer, and the first time we heard his name, they said, the reason you guys are here is this is as close as we've ever been to Osama bin Laden. And to hear that, because he at that point, he's a ghost. We're never going to find him. He's gone. Um, like, I would even, when I was interrogating terrorists, and I, I would joke with them, like, you know, who's the man of the house? Who lives here? Where's Osama bin Laden? And we'd both laugh, like the terrorists. Like, no one knows where he is. But when, when she said uh, Osama bin Laden, I looked around the room and I'm with about 23 guys I've been working with forever. And I consider them the best of the best. And there was no cheering or high-fiving. It was kind of a looking at each other. And the common response was cool. We are we going right now? Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. We're ready. Uh, but then we, you know, we had a train for a week in one spot, go out West uh, that I can't get into, but that's where people always say they find the aliens. We trained out there for a couple of days and, then we went to ever uh, to Afghanistan. There was there was it was just an honor to be a part of the team. We we know we're good at this. We don't need to train. We've been fighting since two thousand one, and um, but we needed to show the powers that be that we can do it. There was five op, five different um, choices the president had, like a couple bombs here, a hammer toss bomb here, blah blah blah. And then uh, they, they they did present us with a uh, a multilateral operation, which meant we could go in with the Pakistanis, and every dude in the room laughed. We're like. You fucking tell the Pakistanis we found Bin Laden, that motherfucker's going to be gone in right. five minutes. Like, they're going to go. So we had to go alone. And then it 
it was actually pretty cool that we, you know, we, we trained and, and President Obama told us afterwards, it was pretty badass. He said, I was never convinced 100% that bin Laden was there. But after seeing you train, I was convinced you guys could go and find out and come back alive. And that was pretty cool. And then we were over there. And then one night they, um, we got the green light on a Friday night. And so we had, we were waiting for two, um, uh, 0% illumination. You want to go when it's dark. And there's usually one, one of like one 48 hour period per month. So we have Saturday or Sunday to go. And if we don't get one of those two days, we got to wait 30 days to go and he could leave at any time. And we didn't go on Saturday because the correspondence dinner at the white house or in DC, I don't know if it's the white house, one of the hotels, yeah. but, um, we had the green light, but we didn't go because we knew that the whole cabinet's there and the, all the press is there. And if the, the entire cabinet, the president get up in the middle and leave, the press is going to be like, what the hell's going on? So we didn't want to spook them. So we waited until Sunday. And it was actually kind of funny. If, if you go on YouTube and watch the roast, it's uh, Seth Meyers. Is, uh, ro- he's the MC. He's roasting Barack Obama. And he actually said, this is actually cool. I got to give Obama props. He, he said, uh, you know, that um, they were saying something. He goes, you know, that something, something like, you know, that uh, Osama bin Laden actually has uh, a one hour show every every uh, weekday on C-SPAN. But nobody sees it because no one watches C-SPAN because this thing is on C-SPAN. And he's kind of laughing about how you can't find bin Laden. And um, President Obama's over there and he's kind of smiling and laughing with his poker face. When he could have said, "Motherfucker, we're gonna get him tomorrow," but he, you know, just totally sat there like, "No." And that's it was. You got to give him credit for that. That's pretty fucking cool. And then the the following night we launched, and then it was uh, that that was it. So we're we're going, and you know, we had accepted the fact that um, these are brand new helicopters. The pilots have only been flying them for two weeks, maybe. We don't know if they work as far as stealth. We can get shot down on the way in, ninety minutes in. We're going to get in a gunfight as soon as we get there. And if anyone's going to blow himself up in the whole place, it's going to be Bin Laden. So we had accepted that. But we're going because this is why we're here. Like, even when you get butterflies before a fight, it's like, you know, this guy could kick my ass, but this is why I'm here. I'm going to go fuck him up. Um, And that that was kind of the mentality uh, going in. And then and, and one of those things, too, with mental toughness, like I mentioned earlier, if you're worried about something that you're worried won't stop then stop worrying about it because you're wasting your valuable energy so um we were so convinced we weren't going to go in um that we weren't going to come back that it was a one-way mission that one of the guys on the mission before we went came to me and said hey man don't take this the wrong way because i'm going 100 percent going but i have to say this out loud if we know we're going to die why are we going and that's a fair question. And we all talked about that. And we, we decided that we're not going after bin Laden for the fame or for the reward, because we're not going to get the reward. But we are going for the first Americans to fight Al-Qaeda toe-to-toe to the death. And that was the passengers on United 93 that saved the Capitol. We're going for the single mom who dropped her kids off at elementary school on a Tuesday. And then 45 minutes later, she jumped to her death out of a skyscraper because that was a better alternative at the time than whatever in the hell's going on inside right now at 2,500 degrees Fahrenheit. She looked down, she made a decision, and her last gesture of human decency was holding her skirt down as she killed herself. Those people were not supposed to be in the fight. We're supposed to be in the fight, and that's why we're going. And that was our mentality going in. That's awesome, man. Uh, quite a night it was an honor to be with those guys were there uh any unexpected challenges or obstacles that arose during the mission 
Yeah, the um, we didn't get shut down, which again, I'm what I was doing to pass the time is to avoid worrying about stuff is try to occupy your mind. And what I've learned, what I learned hunting, then I learned as a sniper is to count. So if you're bored somewhere, just start counting. I've done it in a jail cell before. <laughs> just count. Uh, zero to a thousand, thousand to zero, back and forth. And so I was doing that on the flight in. And I'm sitting, at, we brought one dog, Cairo, the Belgian Malinois. He's next to me. I'm in a, a tri-folding chair. I'm counting. And I'm looking around to see what other dudes are doing. Uh, guys I've been working with, how they're mentally handling this. And one, I'll never forget this thought. One of my guys was asleep. Like he put his headphones on to listen to music and he's sleeping. And I'm looking at my friend and I remember my thought was, uh, you were asleep literally on the ride to Osama bin Laden's house. You have ice in your veins and I actually see why women find you attractive. That's awesome. But then we got there and, what, and we, the, the, everything went wrong. And when I said the perfect, right. the perfect plan only exists when you're planning. And our perfect plan was the fast rope one set in front of his house, put some guys outside. My team's going to go to the top and we're going to hit him that way. And then that immediately stopped because the, the helicopter crashed crash landed in the front yard because the pilot that was flying said he realized that he couldn't hold the hover just based on the, the updraft and the, and the, the mud walls or something. But he realized if he could turn it and pin the tail, because there's a big mud wall surrounding the whole house. If he can pin the tail on the wall and stick the nose into the dirt, like we might live. If he powered it up, it's going to roll and everyone on the bird's going to die. And he knew that in the blink of an eye. And pilots are just fucking awesome. I love them. So he pinned it. We didn't know they crashed. So they let our snipers out and then we're going up to the roof. But our pilot saw him crash. So he went back down. He's like saying, get it out. So we get out there. I didn't know they crashed. Um, we tried to blow a door over here. They, we blasted a, a, a door off to our left, a double door, um, and it opened. We used a seven-foot charge of C6, which is basically a master key. It's going to open everything. But it blew this door open. There's a brick wall behind the door. And the guy that put the breaching charge on said, hey, failed breach. This is bad. And I said, no, this is good. That's a fake door. Okay, nobody does that. He's in there. So then we went to this door and I said, this is so-and-so and I'm going to blast uh, the carport. The carport's another set of doors that we knew open because we had seen cars come in and out of it before. And um, see what I had heard, we were keeping it simple. They, that was the, the first helicopter was dash one. This one is dash two. And what they were saying when they went into the yard was dash. What I heard them say was dash one going around, dash one going around, thinking they're doing a racetrack, like they took fire and they're just going to come back and reattack. But what he was saying was dash one going down. So I said, hey, this is so-and-so. I'm going to blast a carport. And someone said, don't blast it. Just open it. We'll open it. So the, the door opened and a glove came out with a thumbs up and a, the gloves I recognized. I didn't know how they got in there, but there's certain points in life where it doesn't matter why we're here. We just are. Like when, when I talk to um, college football teams or NFL football teams, I'll tell the defense, guys, it doesn't matter why it's second and 15. It just is. The right. clock is ticking. That's something we all have in common. That clock's running. Let's go. So we go in. I still don't know they crash. We get into the thing, and my guys are in front of me in a gunfight, and I pull into a into a room, and there's a dude from the bird that crashed, and, he's, and he whispered to me, helicopter crash. And I'm like, what? Wait, what, ha what happened? What helicopter crash? And as I'm saying that, our sniper that we dropped off with Cairo, the dog, he's running around the whole thing, and his job was to go around the entire perimeter outside the wall twice to make sure no one like escaped through a tunnel or whatever. And he didn't know they crashed either. So he gets to the point outside where he can see the tail of the helicopter hanging over. And he came over the radio 
and said, guys, okay, definitely be on alert. They're ready for us. They have a training mock-up of our super secret helicopter wow. in the front yard. <laughs> and so, and then we hear, we hear the boss come over and he goes, no jackass. That's ours because we crashed. <laughs> and the sniper comes over and he goes, yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense than the shit I was just saying, carry on. <laughs> and so there's a weird pause and he, he comes over there and he goes, you didn't do that shit on purpose, did you? <laughs> so that was a surprise. And then I was surprised that the, um, I was, when I was in there in that room, I'm, I'm looking around for like explosives hanging from the, the ceiling. Cause a thermal barracle, that's how you blow up a house. And there was nothing there. And I was just surprised there was, there was resistance, but not as much as I would have expected. So, and I'm just watching my guys like, you guys are killing it. Slow as smooth, smooth as fast. Let's keep doing this. Master the basics. Guy in front of me goes left. I'm going to go right. It's that simple. Right. Yeah. And he was, he was on the right side of the hallway. Huh? Uh, yeah. Well, when we went upstairs, yeah, we, we, uh, the woman that found Osama bin Laden, uh, she told us, I don't know what, where the stairwell is, but there will be one. And when you get there, you'll run into Khalid bin Laden, his 20 year old son. And she was so cool. She said, if you can ace him, you get a shot at the big guy. Yeah. And so we did that and we, so, and that was just awesome. So we went up the stairs, the guy split left and right. I had one guy in front of me. We have one more set of stairs. We know Bin Laden's up there some, uh, like probably off to the right. And there's one dude in front of me. I, I He was a one man. I'm the two man. His job is to look forward and cover because there's a curtain at the top of the stairs instead of a door. And my job is to look backwards. So my hand is on his shoulder and I'm looking back to when we get enough guys, I give him a squeeze for effective communication time to go, but we're getting nobody. And there's because we're split, you know, we got 23 dudes and some are outside. We're out of guys, but he sees something through the curtain. And he starts saying, hey, we got to go. We got to go. Um, and my hand and what's this is my version of the story. Maybe he, he said something different, but I'm pretty sure he said, hey, man, these bitches is getting truculent. And so my hands on his shoulder and I whispered into his ear. I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> and, uh, but then, and then people, people asked me what was, what was going in my head. I can close my eyes and see those stairs, see him in front of me. And it was never bravery. That wasn't it. He was brave. I had my hand on his shoulder. I'm like, I remember thinking, okay, we're going to get blown up now. He's got to have a vest on. I'm fucking tired of thinking about it. Let's go. And so we went up the stairs, he moved the curtain and he saw people there and he is, how this guy doesn't have a medal of honor I, i'll never know but he assumed they were suicide bombers he just jumped on him to absorb the blast for the guy behind him and he wow. didn't know it was me he, he knew it was one of his guys right so he went this way and like i said because he went this way i went that way just based on his movement i turned there there's osama bin laden standing on two feet three feet in front of me his wife amal is right in front of him and um the my rules of engagement were like he's taller than i thought he's skinnier than i thought like his beard was shorter than I thought. It's kind of gray. He's a threat. He's not surrendering. I got to take him out. So I assumed he was a, a suicide bomber. So I shot him twice in the face and shot him again in the face. And then I, you know, he's down there and I move his wife out of the way because, well, even his, his two-year-old son was standing there. And as a father, I'm looking at this kid and I'm like, this poor kid's got nothing to do with this. Right. There's humanity. There's humanity involved with this. And so I, I move them both aside and I, I'm, cause I know more Navy SEALs are coming in and we're the good guys. I don't want them to get hurt. So I push him on the bed. And I turn around, I can hear Bin Laden taking his last breath. I can, like his head split open. I just shot him three times. And uh, I'm kind of standing there on a mission. We're supposed to die. And one of my guys comes up to me and he goes, my nickname was Nisro, N-S-R-O, Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill. And he goes, uh, hey, Nisro, are you good? And I said, uh, I think, uh, what do we do now? Yeah. yeah. And he, sm he smiled 
And he goes, well, now we find the computers. We do this every night, hundreds of times. Come on. I go, I go, yeah, you're right. I'm back. Holy shit. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, you just killed Osama bin Laden. Your life just changed. Now get to fucking work. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that was a, that's a fine way to say thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And then we, you know, we did our thing. We put him in a body bag, carried him out. And then we have to, now we have a new job. To, we got to blow up that helicopter because we're not going to, there was an argument whether or not they could fly it. We're like, fuck it, we're blowing it. We're leaving it here. Had to call in another helicopter, which wasn't stealth, which is a cool part of the story because now there's two more army pilots, more army air crew, and the air crew doesn't get any credit. Like they, they're butchering the seats too. If they got shot down, their family's going to miss them as much as us. They don't get credit. And here's something else cool. There's another crew from SEAL Team 6 on there. And people don't realize that SEAL Team 6 actually rescued SEAL Team 6 on the Bin Laden raid. So they come in. We get in that bird, and now we're leaving. And it's a mission where we, we accepted death. I'm dead, but now we're leaving. <laughs> and we can live. And all we have to do is live for 90 minutes. If we can live right. for 90 minutes and cross, cross that border, we get 50 more years of life. I get to see my daughters. This is awesome. Let's go. So the pilots hauling ass, we're sitting in the back. We're leaving Bin Laden's house. They split off in one helicopter. We're in this new one. They got his body there. We have some DNA in this one. And because just in case one gets shot down, we have um, redundancy. We can prove it's him. So we're leaving. Uh, we're in the back. Definitely can get shot down, but worrying about it's not going to help. So I just started my watch. I'm actually sitting next to the sniper that rescued Richard Phillips, which is, that's how small this team is like, wow. And he actually was, was cool as he handed me his Copenhagen. I have, um, I have my night vision down. I see this can of dip come in front of me and he goes here, take one of mine. Now, you know what it's like to be a hero. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I, I don't need that, but we're leaving. And I'm starting my watch and I know we got to get to 90 minutes. So it's like, all right, it's been 10 minutes. We're hauling ass. I can tell been 20 minutes looking around 30 minutes, been 40, 50 minutes. Got to get to 90. It's been 60 fucking minutes, 70 minutes. Now you're getting close. And I start thinking about um, like sports, like watching a no hitter at the top of the seventh. Like, I don't want to say anything to jinx it, but fuck. Right, right. 80 minutes, 80 minutes in. Then what hit me was uh, the 1980 U.S. hockey team and the movie Miracle when you have a bunch of college kids playing the greatest hockey team in the history of hockey, like hasn't lost a gold medal since 1960 or whatever, right. haven't lost shit. And this team has no business being on the ice but now in the third period, they're winning four to three. And you can hear the crowd 10, nine, eight. You can hear how nervous the crowd at Lake Placid is six, five. We can still screw this up. And then 85 minutes in, the, the pilots are awesome. They're just always monotone, like a pilot is to keep right. you calm. He came over the radio, and I'll never forget it. He said, All right, gentlemen, for the first time in your lives, you're going to be happy to hear this. Welcome to Afghanistan. <laughs> and like we let we land and it's like holy shit we we did it and nobody got hurt we all landed and uh, and it was you know what was awesome was uh i mean the whole thing was awesome and i love that team the pilots don't get any credit they're just badasses but we land me and the guy that went up the stairs we go off to the side and uh we're having a moment like uh what the fuck just happened up you whatever and we're bullshit and he looks over and there's the girl that found bin laden the woman sorry and uh, like the movie Zero Dark Thirty, she's real. It's about her. But the ending of that movie sucks because they showed her the body of bin Laden and she cried because that's what she did. Not at all what happened. What actually happened is we walked over to her and he said, you got to give her something because you shot him. You own this. I said, yeah, you're right. And I pulled a magazine out of my gun, jacked the last round out. And I walked over to her and I said, hey, do you have room for this in your backpack? And she looked up to me and she goes, I, I think I do. And I said, cool. We, um, we have something to show you. And I'm realizing that this is going in the books. This is historic, 
But the only reason we're here is because of her. Right. She found right. She's the reason she, she gave up her life to find this dude. Uh, no husband, no kids, seven days a week for decades to find this motherfucker. And as we're walking over and like, this is going in the books and I have my arm around her as a, as a seal, I'm putting pressure on myself. Like, fuck, I got to think of something cool to say, cause this is it. <laughs> so we walk over and I thought this would have been enough. This would have been good enough. I point So we're standing over his body. I'm looking at, he's like, he's out of the bag. And I, I thought this would have been a great ending. I pointed down and I had my arm around. And I said, is that your guy? And she looked down for a second, patted me on the back and goes, huh, I guess I'm out of a fucking job. And she left. <laughs> That's it. How awesome is, how awesome is she? Wow. She got, she wow. got that line. She got the line. <laughs> yeah, she has the best line for sure. I wish they would have put that in the movie. It's a much better movie with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's not Hollywood. It's not tender and all that shit. No, no. They made, yeah, they made a crowd. She, she's a badass. She's real. She exists. She's awesome. Was was she uh from that part of the country or she no she she's she's an, she's an American and I I did promise I would never say her name or describe her but she's she um if watching the movie about her uh and she didn't write the movie but it it sums her up really well if you haven't seen Zero Dark Thirty it's it's awesome yeah hmm. how many fucking tattoos do you have Bernard well I I just started getting them and uh. It just started. It just started fitting. I got a couple just because of uh, Navy SEAL Team Two, SEAL Team Four, SEAL Team Six, and then started putting my kids' names on. My favorite tattoo, though, this one's funny. Is I got I got one right here, and they say, you know how they always say, um, if you get something in a different language, like have a couple people tell you what it says, right? Because it might not say what you think. So I got this uh this tattoo, and apparently, because I got it in on an island, a Pacific island, and they did the whole thing. And they got, I said, I wanted to say American. So in this language, I think it was kanji. It says American, but in Chinese, it says something else. Actually, it actually says rice country, which is a racial slur for a white guy. So <laughs> I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm at my, I was in New York at my, um, at one of my doctors and I'm getting some anesthesia. So I put my arms behind my back and my, my doctor's Chinese and he looked down and he's kind of goes, <laughs> and he goes, Hey, uh, that tattoo on your right arm. What do you think it says? <laughs> I, said, I, I said, I think it says rice country. He goes, Yeah, you're right. And he goes, You're gonna cover it up? And I go, Absolutely not. This is a great story. <laughs> so yeah. basically, I have a tattoo that says cracker on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you you and Ray Cash care. Ray's a buddy of mine. Uh, Ray's, yeah, yeah. He introduced us. Yeah. Does do y'all share a tattoo or anything? Or do you share no, a uh, no. with anybody else? Uh, no, I don't have. I don't. I mean, some similar. Like we were, uh, we were Red Squadron, so a lot of us got the the dream catcher with the with the notches out for. Um, there was a there was a thing because. Uh, um, uh, our guy was in honor of the Red Man of Geronimo of of uh, of the great Native American warriors, and um, we we actually started doing a thing that Native Americans used to do called counting coup, where they would come in at night and touch the enemy physically touch the enemy sleeping and then leave without hurting anyone and that was like you could count that so we 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 actually started doing that to al-qaeda yeah. which is which is which is that's worse fucked up and i think back to it, it's like what the hell are we doing but like we would walk into rooms and like we're not going to leave but like we would they'd be sleeping and you would check them and then run a hand down their chest just check for a suicide vest right. and if they didn't have it a suicide vest you just put your finger over their lips and go shh and they wake up to 
this dude with body armor and a green face. And I've seen, you know, some of the world's worst terrorists literally piss their pants. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> so that, yeah, so that tattoo is just counting too. I stopped after two because I, you know, my whole arm would be covered in ink. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's how many Q you got, huh? Shit. We, we, we got busy. We got really busy. They, um, you know, the, the best summer as far as combat we had was 2007 in Iraq when, uh, when during what they call the awakening, where we realized the difference between Sunni and Shia and Al-Qaeda was Sunni and they were terrorizing Sunni families. We were starting to tell the Sunni families that because they would like if Al-Qaeda comes to your house and they want to live there, you, either you let them in or they're going to cut your head off. Right. But we would we, we started telling them, like, you tell us who the bad guys are, we'll come kill them for you. And it's not like arrest them like we're going to if we kill enough. Uh, these bad guys are going to stop showing up. And so, uh, yeah, we, we, we got into it. And summer of 07 was, um, you know, right now I think back to it. I'm like, what the hell were they having us do? But at the time it was, it was, it was awesome. It was, it was, uh, you know, walking into rooms and you basically, when you run into a dude, you have one second to convince me not to kill you. Right. It's, it was, right. it was pretty intense. Your buddies with kid rock, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. Kid rocks, my boy. Well, he, he's, he's awesome. Cause the hardest part about, the hardest part about hanging out with Kid Rock is calling him Bob because his oh. name is Bob Ritchie. You want to call him Kid Rock, but yeah, he's a he's just a salt of the earth. One of the most generous dudes I've ever met. Obviously, his his live performance is the best I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, I was actually on uh, I was on Fox and Friends on Christmas, and they asked me what's your favorite Christmas song, and I said American Badass by Kid Rock, of course. <laughs> yeah, I used to come out to that song when I was fighting in Pride. You know, so American Badass. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's bad. I should have known that. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> did, uh, did, does he have the hammer that knocked the door down? Yeah, I gave it to him. Um, oh. We traded. We we traded. I don't know. What, you know, having some drinks, obviously. And I said, here, here, this is the uh, the sledgehammer I brought into, into Bin Laden. I signed it. You know, never quit. Signed it. And he said, cool. I'll, you can have any car you want. And he had some badass cars. Like, there's a there's cars in there like, that, that uh, you know, all guns around it and kick-ass stuff. And he had a... Uh, a 1972 Cadillac limousine, the worst car in there. I'm like, I want that one. He's like, you can have any car here and you want that. Why? And I'm like the suicide doors. Those are fucking dope. So uh, <laughs> somehow we, somehow we worked a deal where it's my car, but it's still in his garage. So I think I got that. <laughs> well, does he have anybody drive it when you go visit him? <laughs> um, well, you know, I've been in it. We haven't driven it. I, the plan was to do like a, a road trip with the groomsmen to my wedding a couple years ago, but that never happened. So I got to, I got to get that thing. Yeah, you're going tour. Right. <laughs> Should, yeah. Well, he, yeah, he's funny too. He said, uh, he said I could lose everything, everything in life, but I'm keeping the jet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. He's great, well, great dude. How many times have you been to the White House? Um, I've been there probably that probably ten times. Yeah. I think um, a couple times when Obama was there, and then I had dinner there with uh, President Bush. I'm oh, sorry, President uh, Trump. Where the my my wife and I went. To, that's a funny story. Uh, President Trump invited us. Pete Hegseth from Fox News and, and Jen Hegseth, his wife, said, "We're going to the White House, and he wants you to come to dinner." So there's going to be four of us at dinner with the president. So I told my wife, "Hey, we're going to uh, the White House with President Trump." And she's funny because she'll get nervous when she meets celebrities, and she goes, "Okay, but it's it's going to be a big dinner, right?" And I said, "Oh no, this is going to be a small dinner, an intimate dinner." And she goes, "I'm not going to be sitting near him, am I?" I said, "Well, knowing Donald Trump, you're going to be sitting right next to him." And she goes well, what do I say? And I said, well, that's the good news because you're not going to need to say shit because he won't shut the fuck up. Uh, he's going to talk the whole time, and, which is true. And he's and he's he's a great dude, funny guy. I know, guy, somebody, I know but, something like that. 
But the, the the funniest part of it was we finished dinner and he said, Hey, do you guys want to see the Lincoln bedroom? And I said, well, you know, it's, it's yeah. I want to see the Lincoln bedroom. You kidding me? I don't. Yeah. So we ran up to the Lincoln bedroom and it's the top of the stairs to the residence. Like as soon as you get up the stairs here, the Lincoln bedrooms right there. And so we walked in, I, I actually walked in first and here's Abraham Lincoln's bed. Like his son, Abraham Lincoln's son died in this bed and here's right. Abraham Lincoln's desk. And then against the wall, um, facing this uh, the south lawn, there's another a window. You can see the south lawn, and there's a desk. And below the glass is the Gettysburg Address, handwritten and signed by Abe Lincoln. And wow. so I'm having I'm having this uh, out of body experience. Like this is I'm taking this in, and I look back, and and President Trump is leaning against the wall, and he goes, "You know, Neil, not everybody gets to see this unless, of course, you donate to the Clinton Foundation." <laughs> 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 and I look at him. And I, I go, Mr. President, you just can't help yourself. You just can't stop for a second. And he's laughing about whatever. And uh, he said, I got to go to the bed um, to, uh, you know, Melania. Melania's pissed about something. And then he he looks at the Secret Service guy goes, hey, take O'Neill down to the basement. Show him where those limeys started that fire in 1812. And I said, I don't think we say limey anymore either. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, right? All the time. <laughs> That's so yeah, awful. after uh, after the uh, the big raid and getting out, it's a, it's a, it's been quite an adventure. All right. So what happened? Are you allowed to talk about what happened in Texas? Not just yet, because oh. the the you know the system sure. takes a minute, and I don't want to I don't want to yeah you'd say anything. But I mean, but that's good enough reason to come back on the show. I can tell you what happened. I mean, the story's good, but I got to let let the let let it work itself out. Right. <laughs> it's, well, I mean, talk, talk about. I, I will tell you this. It's mostly bullshit, right? Okay. I understand that. Well, tell tell us about your podcast so we get you, you know, get get some people to to come out over to you there. What will they be a podcast? Oh, you guys, and and you're both always welcome on the uh, the operator podcast. Is it, I named it the operator podcast based on the book The Operator because, like I said, if you're doing if you're if you're contributing, you're an operator. So what I like to do is I started off just by me talking to the screen, giving you my opinion on a couple different things, but then in the comment section. I want to hear as an operator what you think. And, and unlike a lot of people, I'm willing to listen. If I'm wrong, I'll say I'm wrong. But you tell me what I, you think I'm wrong and how. And instead of just yelling at me, tell me how I'm wrong and then possibly a right. solution. Right. So that's what we do. We, we talk everything from football to, well, I used to be a Redskins fan, but now we don't have that. So I, you know, I don't know about that, but I'll talk about <laughs> anything from politics suing. to sports. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> yeah. Natives are suing to return. The well, they, <laughs> it was, it was that, that's not a logo. That's a real Native American warrior chief like that's a real dude and they were like it, it's an honor it, we brought him to war the same with my tattoo i'm bringing this guy to war with me right like that right. we it's it's it, it, yeah so the the only people that were offended by the name redskins were um rich white liberal attorneys from dc and the people that they paid off that's it right. the native americans that i know love them the, right. the, the 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 chief that the redskins logo is name or is drawn after is from montana really? like this is not there's nothing there was nothing disparaging about it no, no. Again, they used to paint their faces red, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. In more half of it, you know. Oh yeah. Make, oh yeah. Make it more. Uh, and they're serious. They're serious dudes. Yeah, yeah. They were they were special forces, you know, back then. <laughs> yeah, that's about as close you get. Yeah. Danny boy, I've been doing all the top. 
Yeah, I think that. Uh, well, I, I don't want to. I know we've, we've uh, held you on here for almost an hour and, and a half there. That's so okay. I still want to. I got more questions. Yeah, and we're not. Oh full. well, then shoot away there, Mister no. Fry. I don't mean to. No, we got, we got, we got the man here. We got the man here. Right, no, I just. I, I think it's just great that, that you give us as much time as what you have had, and uh, you're definitely a much more laid back individual than I thought you'd be. You'd be for being involved in the uh, military and you know doing the, some of the things that you've done. So I, I actually. Uh, Appreciate the, that factor. Oh, he was great. First time I met him, um, you know, he come over to see Quinn because they had Quinn. You know, we went over there to see. And he'd come over to the dog, you know, see the dog. Then we introduced mm -hmm. ourselves. And uh, then I, I I pulled out a, a uh, an action figure, Don Fry action figure. He takes it and he signs it. That's right, it. I have it. Yeah, yeah, I have it. <laughs> he signs it. I go, you arrogant fucker! You know, you know, he just got everything. <laughs> no, yeah. I walked away from that. I'm glad. <laughs> I, just, I had to give him shit because he's so. That's you know, awesome. You, you know how it is. You get in that signing mode, and somebody hands you something, you're just That's signing so signing. funny. <laughs> yeah, I I wanted uh. I, uh yeah, you know, I, I was gonna sign it for you, but you signed it, so <laughs> that is so funny. I'll, I'll I remember trade that. you. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll I'll trade you. Yeah, for your your signs, I'll send you a sign one. You send me that one back. Is that? <laughs> is it? Is that your special uh, blend? Is that special blend, or is that just water? Well, it's just straight up water. I'm. Uh, I think that one of the reasons I'm still alive is I drink about two gallons of water a day. I don't know what it is. Wow, delicious. I, I still don't drink water. It used, it used to be it used to be whiskey, but uh, we're we're going to water now for a while. <laughs> I still don't drink enough water from from all the years of wrestling. You know, cutting weight. I know one year I said, "Fuck it, I'm done. I'm not, never <laughs> cutting weight again." So I went up to heavyweight, and uh, we're at the Concord International Greco Tournament in California, and they gave us uh, three pounds for some reason, and. I went and I ate breakfast, you know, a big, big meal. And I was over by a pound, you know, and, and he says, you going to cut weight? No, I'm done. I'm done with that shit. I'm just going to, I'll move Heavy up. Weight. Yeah. I moved up and I got my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> that was a mistake. I got, got the uh, Russian, uh, eight time world, uh, Greco Roman champion. You know, <laughs> he just tossed me around like I wasn't even there. Yeah, heavyweight your serious dudes too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Danny, you don't have any questions. How about your dog? Well, I know. I mean, Don, I mean, I say I was kind of surprised you use like in rare form here today. It's like uh, I've never seen you this. Uh, uh, well, here, here, okay, here's something we can talk about with you, Robert. What, what, what about what about the physicality of our youth nowadays? I mean, it's, uh, I've always, I've talked about the, uh, I've talked about the lowering of the bar. When you look at uh, our, our high schools, our junior high, you bring back something called the the Presidential Physical Fitness Awards. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if you have you been to a high school or junior high as of late to see what they try to pawn off as physical education? Uh, I haven't. No, I haven't. I haven't seen the 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 PE stuff yet. I, I my mother still teaches at high school, so I get to see some some of the Montanans up there. I I am an optimist as far as I know. We still have some solid people out there, but. I think the online stuff, the TikTok, the video games, the constant gaming, the, you know, as opposed to having studs, we're going to have dudes with humpbacks at the age of 15. And I'm concerned about that, along with 
Uh, you're allowed to be anything that you think you are and everything's going to be just rosy. I, 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 I'm concerned about that. Um, again, you learn from failure and I, I just would hate to see a lot of people, this country, especially get slapped in the face and not have a way to way to retort. So it's, um, uh, I, you know, I know damn well that they're not the working out's not a priority for a lot of schools anymore when they can, I mean, they're, 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 I think a lot of people are going down the wrong path as far as they want to make everything about sexuality when, right. when they, I mean, again, I don't like getting into that argument because I don't have a dog in the fight yet, but um, yeah, it's, I'm concerned. It's completely insane. Completely insane. Yeah, it's, it's insane. Well, again, I mean, uh, you know, things that I know that, that Don and I have spoken about before and a couple times with some other guests, but, uh, you know, th there have always been uh, transgenders and gays uh, all throughout uh, history. And, uh, I mean, uh, you know, people didn't seem like they got all bent out of shape when you had different types of uh, comedians and stuff like that. Zap a little zinger here, zap a little zinger there. It's kind of like going, you know, it's kind of like you live in the United States. Uh, uh, you can you can do it here, but uh, try to do that in uh, a foreign country and, uh, you know, oh, no, uh, no. You, you, won't, uh, you won't be around long. So well, I mean, with, with, if you get, you got to figure too with um, you, you these people talking about this far leftist communist stuff and the transgender and the gay stuff, and then they have a like a picture of Fidel Castro and and Che Guevara behind him. Yeah. And I would like to ask him, do you realize what Che Guevara would do to gay people, do to minorities? Like this guy's a tyrant. You don't even know what he was doing. Why are you celebrating him if you if you if you love everybody? So it's like, I think it's a, it's a it's a, a almost a fantasy world where they don't get enough reality. That, I personally like I'm I'm a libertarian. Like, do you do whatever you want to do? Just don't if you're if you start to affect everyone else, especially kids, and you're trying to there, there's stuff going on with kids that I I, I vehemently disagree with. Right. So do you do you, you make yourself happy, but stop hurting other people. And it's just I think a lot of people are a lot of the bad people are attracted to schools because they know how like the communist manifestos are all about getting to the youth first, getting to the entertainment and Hollywood and then the media. And they, yeah. they've got, a, they've been working on a grasp on it since the forties and fifties and they're getting close to it now. And it's, and it's just, it sucks to like, we're at a point now where if you say you're concerned about communism, then all of a sudden you're a white supremacist. Like, well, I, right. I, I'm not a domestic terrorist. What are you talking about? I'm yeah. just pointing out with what, what they said they were going to do 60 years ago. Exactly. Oh, overtake, overtake country without firing a shot. Yeah. That's what they're saying, yeah, yeah, and that that's bad enough. But wait till uh, wait till Taiwan or uh, China takes Taiwan, and all of a sudden real shots are being fired. And then, and again too, it the I mean there are people in there with their eye on the ball, but like the, it's not always going to be bombs and troops. It's going to be uh, magnetic warfare, uh, microwave weapons, um, turning stuff off, cyber warfare, where everything just stops working. It's almost like when we talk about working out. If if your iPhone dies, do you know how to use? celestial navigation or a compass no can you live off the land no can you start a fire no well you're fucked <laughs> like your car doesn't work your phone doesn't work what do you do now yeah so like again that's master the basics well they can't look you in the eye when they talk to you no they can't, no i mean even they can't even ask girls out on dates because they're used to texting right like i, I Keeping it so simple, we had, uh, I remember we used to carry what's called an E&E &E kit, like an escape and evasion kit, something very small on your first line gear that if you have to shit can everything, you got something like a fire starter, a, a space blanket, whatever. And I stopped carrying that. I just carried an extra magazine, a small 20 round magazine for my, it was an M4 at the time, my, my gun. And um, they said, where's your E&E &E kit? And I said, well, this is it right here. It's my M4 charge card. And they go, what do you mean it's M4 charge card? And I said, I said, here's how it works. It's like a credit card. It's like this. You have a car. I have a gun. Now I have a car and a gun. Okay. <laughs> I just put it on the card. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
How, how close do you think we are to war? Um, well, I think we're very close to being pushed around. I think oh, that uh, Chi, Chi, I, I think that China's going to China's going to take Taiwan before the next election, and then when that happens, we either step up or don't. Right. And I, I, this administration right now doesn't have the cojones to fight China. No, no, they don't have any cojones. They're all dressed as women. You know shit. Yeah, they're, they're too busy out there stealing. They don't even know the definition of a one. Yeah, they can't even define it. There. Yeah, they're too busy stealing yeah, you... their luggage. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, a dude with lipstick stealing your luggage and then wearing your shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How pissed off would you be? <laughs> yeah. It's, well, I I just said I'm not, I'm not worried about him stealing my luggage because everything I wear is man size. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, how's your new marriage going partner that's great yeah we've been married uh just over six years and it's it's awesome she's uh she just the way i met her was so cool she yeah she just she's a pipe hitter she's funny as shit gorgeous and uh we have so much fun together she's awesome um how's she's got a great doing? job so i can i'm trying to i'm still trying to figure out what i do for a living but at least yeah. you know she can be the man of the house <laughs> well how'd you meet her i met her at an event she hosted i was uh i gave a speech to her company in florida and uh, she didn't. She didn't even know who I was. I just gave a really good speech. Had a had a drink with her afterwards, and I um I got her number just for whatever. And I was like, well, she's too hot to talk to me. And she lived in New York, and I would uh, text her now and then. I'd I'd like make sure I had some work in New York so I could fly up there. I was in Texas at the time, and uh, just go up there to see her on the weekends. And we started dating, and we got along. Great common interests. Uh, very funny. I love her sense of humor. And and uh, people asked. It was funny when we moved to New York. They said. Uh, so why do you why do you guys move to New York? And she said, "Oh, we compromised because I lived in New York and he lived in Texas, and now we live in New York." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I guess okay. when you're married, that's a compromise. That's a compromise, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I think there you'd, you'd like to have two different homesteads because uh, New York is hoof to all depending on where you live at. Yeah. New York, it's a uh, we're, we're, we're back and forth. Okay, uh, can you talk about the we got a. Can you talk about the Captain Phillips mission? Yeah, that was um that was uh on a on Good Friday, April 10th, which is my birthday. Uh and I was like I said, I was at my daughter's Easter tea party. And we got a we got a message that uh, uh you know Rip, Richard Phillips has been taken. You guys are gonna go get him now. So it's one of the like we need to go now. So I had to kiss my girl and turn around and leave. And um, we had never done it. SEAL Team 6 was designed to rescue American hostages at sea, but it had never been done since 1980, not one time. And we're the first guys to do it. We've been selling that we can do this um, for years, uh, the timeline, but it had never been done. Uh, so we did, you know, we got into work. I actually, um, there's a set amount of time to get to work, and there was a 7-Eleven outside the base, and I, I was ahead of schedule, so I stopped at 7-Eleven to get – a log, of, a log of a log a log of dip, um, a carton of cigarettes and, and cash out of the ATM because we're going to be jumping in near Africa. We might not end up where we want. If I land in a semi-permissive environment, I might be able to buy my way to safety or barter my way to safety with the tobacco. And I'm in line to get my stuff. And there's one dude in front of me that had just finished a night shift somewhere, big guy, blue collar guy, and he's buying some stuff. And I'm behind him in a hurry. And one of the things he was buying was a USA Today. And the headline was about the mission we're trying to go do. And he slammed it down on the counter and he kind of announced to anyone who would listen, man, I sure wish someone would do something about this. And I'm standing behind him and I tap him on the shoulder. He turned around and go, buddy, pay for your shit and we will. <laughs> and he's staring at me 
And I said, I'm not even kidding. Like the national security timeline is squarely on your shoulders, bro. And like he, <laughs> he, he left and we got there. So we jumped in the Indian ocean and uh, we, we didn't know how we we're going to do it. We never thought of a, a Navy destroyer towing a lifeboat. We'd never thought of it. So we, we told everyone on the flight over, come up with a plan and we'll narrow it down to the best plan. And, um, when we got there, we we were on an air not an aircraft carrier, but a similar ship. And then we the the ship that was towing the boat, we put snipers out there to watch him, make sure nothing unsafe happens as we're preparing for the rescue. So we're preparing for the rescue. The snipers are watching him, and something very unsafe happened, and they shot. That was not the plan. And we we didn't, we didn't go to, there to kill those guys. We went there to rescue the hostage, however we can. But they took the shots. Um, and the cool thing about that was. That's like um, um, complacency kills. Like it, complacency is caused by success. If you're successful too often, you'll have a tendency to say, "Well, this is the way we've always done it," and that's how you get bored, and that's how you get killed. Don't don't die because you got bored. Right. But they're so their guns. You know, we hadn't done this in 29 years, and it was a long weekend on a Friday. Their guns did not need to be sighted in for the most difficult shots of their lives, but their guns were sighted in for the most difficult shots of their lives because they were prepared for that shot, even though it had never happened. So they took those shots. It was awesome. Here's the funny part. Like people say that, you know, I'm trying to be a hero. I was actually, I'm a brand new Navy chief. And there's a place on each ship or sub called the chief's mess where you can go in with the chiefs, have the kick-ass food, the coffee and hang out with other chiefs. I'm brand new chief. So I'm in the chief's mess. I'm having coffee. I got a text from one of the snipers and they said, Hey, we got him." And I was so out of it with my coffee. And I go, got who? And they said, bro, you just got him. Get out here. So I'm like, oh shit. Good job, guys. Wow. So I was I led the I led the jump in, but uh that was all. I was just on the ship drinking coffee and the snipers rescued. I'm like, cool. Hey, are we gonna get an award for this? I think I yeah. I think I burnt my lips on the coffee. Maybe I can get a purple heart for that. That was some hellacious timing, huh? To go with the waves and all that stuff. I don't you know what they, those guys did it and they were just they're um they they were the no shit snipers at SEAL Team Six, and I think they're some of the best in the world. And yeah. uh, they were just they were good at it. They they were true professionals, and and it was just and here's how here's how cool these guys were. The the guy that I mentioned that was on the helicopter with me after we left Bin Laden's house, leaving, I went up to him. So this is before the Bin Laden raid. I went up to him, and I I said, "You realize you have just done the most uh, prestigious mission in the history of the SEAL teams, right?" And he looked at me and said, cool, can we go home? <laughs> like, that's how awesome these dudes are. Just awesome dudes. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> yeah, they keep it down, down earth. I mean, they they, they, they yeah. the priorities. Are, we got a mission done. Let's go home. Well, I'm assuming it, being he, he was a single guy. I think he probably had a piece of ass back at the beach. He had to leave to go do this, so he wants to get back. <laughs> Absolutely, that's, that's why you fight. That's that's why. You, why you... That's it. That's there's got to be a reason we're doing this, and I think that's it. Money and pussy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the reason you go for the championship, man. Shit. Hey, I love you. I love your I love your front toward enemy outfits, man. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, after this, I'll, I'll get an address. I'll send you guys whatever you need. These are This is good stuff. And that's just a good, uh, keeping it simple. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a, an example because that's on the front of a Claymore mine. Right. And all it says is, like, it, it's a, a, a directional charge. It, it, a C4 will blast 800 ball bearings one way, and you don't want it aimed at you. So it literally says front toward enemy, meaning <laughs> pointed that way. And on the back, it says back. Back. <laughs> so you know where it is and it's just it's keep it keep it don't don't 
talk yourself into an ass whipping front toward enemy. That's where it goes. Simple. Right. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. That's keep it simple, stupid kiss. But yeah, I'll get you guys some of this stuff too. It's it's good stuff. And it's a, if nothing else, it's a conversation starter. If you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> Man, I got on the, uh, back when I started fighting and people were, uh, you know, start chatting me up on the, on the airplane. And I didn't, if I didn't feel like talking, you know, Oh, what do you do? I'm a retired firefighter. You are. Why'd you yeah. quit? I lost my compassion. And then they went and talked to me the rest of the flight. You know? <laughs> I lost my compassion. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. Hey, can I buy a drink? No, man. I lost my compassion. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sir, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, this has been great. Um, yeah, I'm going to get in touch, get some of the stuff, the and then uh, <laughs> you guys are always welcome on my podcast. Too. This is fun. We can do this again, too, because I yeah. will have a story, hopefully, in a few weeks, and we'll get back after it. Oh, uh, please. Yeah, give us. Um, oh, yeah. I'll give you an call, update. And we call you, you call us. How do you want to do that? I'll, I'll get in touch. We, I'll have my people call your people. I'm sure we, Alrighty. you know, a, bu a bunch of meatheads like us can figure it out. Yeah, we, I'd fuck up a two car parade, boy. Believe me. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm happy we just got the computers and the, and the cameras working. We're good. Today's a good day. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Robert, on, on way out here, just plug plug your, your website or plug whatever you want to at this point in time, just so we give people one more chance to, yeah, cool. to, to follow uh, you and the, the the best way to find me is uh, on uh, social media at Mikuya, M as in Mike, C-H-O-O-Y-A-H. -H. And the reason I have Mikuya is because when I was still in the Navy, they said, hey, this new thing called Twitter is coming out. So make a fake name and you can fuck with people. And I'm like, well, Huya, we said in training and I'm Irish. So Mick Huya, M-C-H-O-O-Y-H. And I had like seven followers. My name leaked as killing Bin Laden. I woke up to 15,000 followers. I'm like, fuck, I guess I'm Mick Huya. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but Mikuya on Twitter and Instagram, and it has links to um, RJO Apparel, where you get the the hats and the kick-ass shirts. Uh, we have a we have a funny shirt too, because they a lot of these reporters want us to have committed war crimes, and they said we would canoe people, which is bullshit. Because I'm not going to waste a bullet on someone that's already dead. But they love to think that we canoeing them and shooting in the head. So I made a T-shirt that looks like a camp, like you're in a canoe. But they have night vision and, and rifles. It says Camp Canoe, established 2001. Pretty funny shirt. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so like and Nakuya on all, all the social medias there. And it's if nothing else, I mean, it's it's, it's conversations like this. Just you know, uh, keep yourself grounded. Have never lose your sense of humor. And and most people, I think most people are good. So at Nakuya, all my stuff's on there. And uh, the Operator Podcast is there too. All right, nice. Check that out. Well, Robert and Neil, we appreciate definitely uh, that. Thanks, gentlemen. Having you on this, uh, you, this evening and uh, have yep. yourself a great evening. And we will check in again with you somewhere down the road, my friend. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been, it's been an honor. Thanks for the time. Thanks All for right. your time, sir. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for watching another episode of Dan and Don's Toxic Masculinity. You better like, subscribe, and share, or I'm going to come to your house.